Good morning to one half of the greatest group of people I know. It is the week of Thanksgiving. And in my estimation, there is not a purer holiday in the American tradition than Thanksgiving. And it's not just about turkeys and dressing and, well, a lot of it's about that because that's pretty good. But, and it's not just about the historical events of the, those who first came to this Western Hemisphere and their struggles and their gratefulness to God. It's about the fact that as a nation, we've striven over the course of the last 200 plus years to remember that we've been given so very much and it wasn't solely because of our own efforts. It was given because we have a benevolent God. And of all the people in this great land that should remember that, and not just one week a year, but to remember that perpetually, every day in their lives, it should be God's people. In all of Scripture, I think there are so many things that speak to this idea of thankfulness and all we have to be thankful for, but I particularly like and want us to study this morning from the book of Psalm 100, as David will pour, pour out in these five short verses a song of thanksgiving and praise. And, and really, in many ways, I think that the attitude, the art of giving thanks is becoming lost. And it's not just a new thing. It's kind of been this way for a long time. And we could say that that's true in our culture, but we also, if we're honest, we could look in the mirror and say that much of our lives, we ourselves struggle with a sense of unthankfulness, not intentionally. We don't just think, well, I don't care about the good things I have in my life. No, we get caught up in focusing upon the challenges, focusing upon the negatives. And in that, the tendency is to forget the other side of the list. You know what I mean by the list. We talked about counting your blessings. We sang about that this morning. And in everyone's life, I'll tell you, it's a good exercise to sometimes make a list and draw a line right down the middle of the page. You've done pros and cons before. I can't tell you how many times in our lives Lenore and I have done pros and cons about whether we should make a change as far as relocate or whether we should purchase a house or a vehicle or whether she should take a job or this other job or whatever it may be and you make a pros and cons list and you know what's interesting about it most of the time it is extremely helpful and after you do that it's perfectly clear what the right choice is going to be isn't it because usually one side or the other completely outweigh the other side well, when it comes to looking at our lives, at any moment of your life, I mean even when life is tough, even when your heart is broken, even when things seem so challenging that you don't know a solution, if you were to do a life pros and cons list, I'll tell you, I believe that almost every time, the pro side is going to far outweigh the cons. It is. And that's kind of what this psalm is all about, is to point out 
how very good God has been to us, how very much we have to be thankful for, and how we should work in our lives to rid ourselves of unthankfulness. You know, there's nothing really much uglier than that, is there? You know, when somebody doesn't seem to be appreciative or grateful for the things they've been blessed with. I read a story this week. It happened in 1860 on the western shores of Lake Michigan. In Evanston, Illinois, a large ship ran aground and it was sinking and there was people who were falling into the frigid water. And a young student by the name of Edward Spencer waded out into the frigid waters 17 times and brought 17 people to safety on the shore. He was responsible for saving all of their lives. And he was damaged, his body was, by that frigid water and hypothermia. And so his life was never exactly the same as it was before. And several years later, when he passed, as they were doing readings and sharing things at his funeral, it was mentioned that he had saved 17 people's lives. It had cost him his own health. And not one of those folks ever thanked him. And we look at a story like that and we think, how despicable to not be grateful when someone saved your very life. But folks, if we're honest about it, there are moments that if we looked from heaven's viewpoint, would we not say, how despicable to focus on the temporary challenge, to focus on the momentary hurt, and not focus upon all of the glorious gifts that have been given. Well, that's what this psalm is really all about. That's what this message and this holiday really should focus upon. Psalm 100 is truly a magnificent prayer of thanksgiving. And as we look at it together, we're going to see these great things that David will show us that we all have, if we are believers, if we are in Christ, that we have to be thankful for, even on those days that the world would say are the worst days. Even in those moments that our emotions would scream at us, no, all is bad. Nothing is redeemable in your life. But in Christ, we should be the most thankful people even in those moments, because of the overshadowing blessings that we've been given through our Lord. David will start off in verses 1 through the first part of verse 3, and he'll tell us this first basic category of thanksgiving we have as God's people. He says, make a joyful sound to the Lord, all you lands. I wish that religious people could just listen to that simple sentence, that simple instruction. Maybe we wouldn't be a, a religious people anymore who at times just go through our faith and sing those songs of glorious praise and victory with drudgery and with a frown on our face and no enthusiasm in our voice. Uh, David says, no, sing. And a song of joy. Uh, he didn't even just say song. He sings a joyful shout. 
I mean, what do you think of as a joyful shout? I think of sports. I always think of sports, so that doesn't surprise you. But, you know, when, when, a, when a touchdown scored or when a basket's made or in soccer, what do they kick? They kick goals in soccer. When a goal is kicked, whatever it is, or a, in hockey, you know, when they make a goal, whatever it is you like, you know, when, especially when the game's on the line and there is a score that is crucial to the outcome of that contest, what happens when it's scored, when it's made? Well, I mean, what do the fans do? It's like an ecstatic utterance, right? And it's pure joy. And it comes out as a shout or a yell or a yes. I get the idea from David that he says, when I think about what his God has done for me, I make a joyful shout. I say, yes, yes. And folks, when we understand all that he's done for us, that should be the overriding, defining spirit, attitude of the life of every believer. He says, make a joyful Lord, sound unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is good. He is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. It's this simple statement that he says motivates all of this joy and thanksgiving. This singing, this shout of gladness. He says it is the fact that he has made us. You know, we sit and if we ever reflect upon what a precious gift life and health are themselves. How blessing is this? What a blessing that is. You know, we, we look and I know at times we get sick and at times we face a lot of physical challenges. But we still have trouble seeing it in the right context. You know, if today I were to fall terminally ill, I could look at that very negatively because I'm 48 years old. But that would be a very short-sighted way of looking at it. You know why that is? Because 100 years ago, do you know what the average lifespan was? Well, I, I've actually expanded beyond it. If you look back in the history of this world over the last 2,000 years, especially in the Middle and Dark Ages, um, you know, you look at your kids and maybe one of your children has struggles but in the time of Napoleon in the 1800s, only three out of ten children made it to the age of ten. Three out of ten. You ever wonder why there's so many little graves for babies in old cemeteries? You see, no matter how you stack it up, we have a lot to be thankful for. When you look at it with the big picture, with the wide lens view of life and health. He says, God has made us. You know, we tend to be quite the ungrateful complainers in the moment of trouble. And, and I remember reading, and I found it this week and wanted to share it. Someone who supposed what happened in the instance with Jesus in those ten lepers, only one of which came back to thank him. And leprosy... Oh, leprosy, you talk about a hopeless existence. 
In ancient times, lepers, they were separated from their family, never to touch them again. It was a long death sentence where you deteriorated little by little by little, day by day, month by month, year by year, and even decade by decade. But yet, in a moment's notice, Jesus cleanses them completely. And only one comes to say thank you. So why did only one cleansed leper return to thank Jesus? Here are nine suggested reasons. Well, one of them might have waited to see if the cure was real. One of them waited to see if it would last. One of them said, well, I'll see, I'll see him again. I'll thank him when that opportunity arises. Perhaps one decided that he had never really had leprosy in the first place. Perhaps one said that we, he would have gotten well on his own anyway. He was already starting to get better. Perhaps one gave the glory to the priests. Perhaps one said, oh well, Jesus really didn't do that much. Perhaps one said, well, any, any rabbi could have done it. Perhaps one said, I was already much improved and on my way anyhow. And in that it encompasses all of the tainted logic that fills our mind when we choose not to be grateful. When we choose not to really count our blessings and thank the Lord for all that he's given us because we're so focused on the temporal, on the momentary challenges and difficulties. You see, we have to, we have to realize that when we widen our lens and look around at all of the blessings God has given us, the list is so far outweighed on the blessing side than it ever could be, than it ever could be on the negatives. If you don't believe me, just go to a third world country once in your life. And it will change your perspective. I had a good friend, Matthew Craig, who when I preached in Florence, Florence is right across the river from Muscle Shoals. Muscle Shoals has a rich, rich music heritage. And so we had a couple of singer-songwriters who were members of the church at Sherrod Avenue. They were professionals. And a young man named Michael, Matthew Craig was getting into the business and he was the most talented young man perhaps I've ever known. And he wrote, he put out his own album in his studio there and, and it was a lot of kind of folk music but it had a very spiritual theme. And his title song was rich man. And this is a little bit of how it went. I've got a closet so full of shoes that I can't close the door. Anyone? I've got another one so full of coats that it can't hold one more. My pantry's got, is full of boxes, bags, and cans of food that I forget to eat. Because I go out every chance that I get. 
and I get plenty. I've got it all. And some folks, they don't have any. God, forgive me when I spend a day complaining with what you've done for me. Sometimes I'm ashamed to be a rich man. I've got both legs and the freedom to walk anywhere I choose. This one gets me. I've got crystal clear tap water that I'm too good to use. Do you realize what blessings we have? And that we've had for our whole lives? Our whole lives. I talk about, we grew up kind of poor. I, like, I think of it that way from my perspective now. But I had crystal clear tap water and I drank out of the hose in the 1970s. And I mean, we ate a lot more beans and grilled cheese, but when I go other places, they don't even have that. You see, it's all a matter of perspective. What has God given to me? I found a poem that I, I thought was so profound. And it says, forgive me when I whine. Today upon a bus, I saw a lovely maid with golden hair. I envied her. She seemed so gay. And how I wished I were so fair. When suddenly she rose to leave, I saw her hobble down the aisle. She had one foot and wore a crutch. But as she passed, a smile. Oh God, forgive me when I whine. I have two feet. The world is mine. And when I stopped to buy some sweets, the lad who served me had such charm. He seemed to radiate good cheer. And his manner was so kind and warm. I said, it's nice to deal with you. Such courtesy I seldom find. He turned and said, oh, thank you, sir. And then I saw that he was blind. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I have two eyes. The world is mine. Then when we walked down the street, I saw a child with eyes so blue. He stood and he watched the others play and it seemed he knew not what to do. I stopped a moment and I said, why don't you join the others, dear? And he looked ahead without a word and then I knew he could not hear. Oh God, forgive me when I whine. I have two ears. The world is mine. With feet to take me where I'd go. With eyes to see the sunsets glow. With ears to hear what I would know. I am blessed indeed. The world is mine. Oh God, forgive me when I whine. The last half of verse 3 of Psalm 100 David gives us a second category of thankfulness for God's people when he says, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. 
One of the things that I've noticed recently in my studies, particularly the Old Testament, is how many times God uses this phrase, I am the Lord, your God. Not just the Lord God, or the Lord, the God. He says, I am the Lord, your God. Now, that may not seem like a big distinction, but it is. Because we see that the God of heaven, the creator of all that is, has chosen to desire real relationship, personal connection with every single one of us. It seems quite arrogant to use a, an expression of possession when it comes to the creator of all that is. When we say, my God. When we say, our God. I mean, just think about it on the surface. Isn't that quite a stretch? Isn't that quite a reach to say that we human beings, that I personally could ever say the Lord, my God? And it would be a reach. And it would be out of the realm of that which is appropriate at all if God had not defined himself as the Lord my God. It's the Lord, your God. And so David says here, he says, we are his. Now, of course, we know the means whereby God accomplished that. That was explained in great detail by Brother Frank this morning on the table. As he talked about the sacrifice, Jesus being God and man, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He so loved the world, but not just the world. Individually, he loved you and he loved me so much that he gave his son. That to me is, I know it becomes old hat because we've heard it all of our lives. But just think about it. If you have a son or if you have a daughter and then wrap your mind around it then. We've been given so much. And then that text he mentioned in Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, when we've been given our very lives, when we've been made his, the Bible uses great expressions in Ephesians chapter 1. It talks about we've all been made children of God through the adoption as sons and daughters of the king. We've been made his. And whenever I think of that, I always think of my little niece, um, or I guess she's my second cousin, my cousin's daughter, Morgan. And Morgan, she's Chinese of descent. She grew up in China, and her mom and dad, Val, and, and my cousin, they wanted, to, they wanted to adopt another child, so they went through the whole process, and they had to pick her picture, her photo, out of a big binder, a big book. Didn't even get to see her. And they went over and there aren't many boys you can adopt in China because of their one child policy. But there are lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of girls. And they're housed in these gigantic orphanages. And sure enough, they went over there and as Val, as Carla's husband Val, as he went to pick up his, their new little girl, he walked into the orphanage and there were hundreds and hundreds of little girls standing on the sides near their bunks with their heads down 
But there was one little girl down at the end of the dormitory who had been dressed in the finest dress the, that the dorm that the orphanage could find for her and put her in sweet little shoe, patent leather shoes and put a bow in her hair and she had her little bag and she was bouncing up and down on her toes with a big smile, waiting, couldn't wait to meet her dad. Because she'd been chosen out of all of that. She'd been chosen. She'd been adopted and made part of the family. You see, the fact that we're his, it's more than just that he saved us from our sins. He went beyond that. He saved us and he brought us into, not just his servants, but his sons and daughters into the family of God. And then verses four and five of the text. Not only do we have life and health, we have the fact that we have been made his, and then it says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. The Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. He is with us. He is on our side. And I think of Hebrews chapter 13, 5 through 6. Where it says, let your conduct be without covetousness. And be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What has God, what can man do unto me? We have a friend. Life, health, we've been made his own. We have a friend who is there in every difficulty of life. We'll never, his faithfulness is immeasurable. And above all, he saved us from the penalty of our own sin. One last story and then the lesson is yours. In 1942, as he was flying a B-17 bomber over the South Pacific to deliver a message from one base to another, Eddie Rickenbacker, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker, the pilot, realized that they had terribly gotten off course and they were out of radio range. And their B-17 was running out of fuel. He and his crew made a decision and they ditched it in the ocean of the South Pacific. They survived for almost a month on two inflatable life rafts. The largest of which was only nine feet long and five feet wide. For an entire month, they dealt with violent seas, storms, a sun that beat down on them mercilessly, and 10 to 12 foot sharks which followed them the entire time. But the worst enemy was starvation. They couldn't fight that. Their rations ran out in four days. They were out there a month. 
They'd become discouraged. They'd become hopeless. And then one day as Rickenbacker had tilted down his head, hat to try to relieve himself from the scorching sun, closed his eyes in the raft, he felt something on his head. And there hundreds and hundreds of miles from land, he realized he didn't know why, but there was a seagull that had landed right atop his hat. He says as he peered up under the brim of his hat, he saw his fellow airmen look with anticipation, their eyes as big as saucers, because they knew this was hope. Well, you know the rest of the story, they survived because he caught that bird. They ate the bird. They used parts of the bird for bait and they were able to catch fish. And because of that bird, Eddie Rickenbacker and his crew survived a month. A month. In the South Pacific. But the rest of the story is quite intriguing because a newspaper in Florida when he had become an old man, 85 years of age, they did a newspaper story on the man who fed the seagulls every Friday night. His whole life, he'd buy a bucket of shrimp every Friday and he'd just walk along the Florida coast and toss it to the birds. And when interviewed, they asked him what was his motive and he says, you never forget who saves your life. I think he understood gratitude. The question is, do we? This morning, if you would like to express your gratitude to the Lord in a way you haven't before, there's never a better time than at Thanksgiving. Come right now as we stand and as we sing.